Hello, everyone. Welcome into Living Liberty Today. I'm your host, Charlie Earl. This is episode 79, Fantasy. Yes, sometimes it seems like this world we're living in is a fantasy. The Omicron or COVID-19 or whatever variant is treated so differently all across the globe and even within our various states and within each state from city to county to whatever. It depends on probably which health department and political people have the most power-grabbing instincts or the ones who are more freedom-oriented determines how your respective community or state or country, for that matter, treats this whole, this whole fiasco going forward. Significant notes, we had the big trucking convoy in Canada. It has been, uh, I would say, a global success, even though many of the major news media either ignore it totally or have just given it a passing reference. Nevertheless, having friends in Canada like I do, uh, I'm watching it very carefully, and it seems like it's having a real impact on a country that has historically been polite and not the kind that stir the pot. And uh, it seems to be having a real impact in that regard and a broad impact across the globe with those people who are finding alternative news sources uh, to get information about what's going on. I imagine you, like me, go from periods of intense anger to moments and periods of deep despair about how things are going on in this country and, in fact, globally. Because unless we're all free at any given time, none of us are truly free because the only way freedom and liberty can work closest to perfection is when everybody is free and able to engage in interactions with others without fear of restriction from tyrants. But um, I guess that's for another day. And I guess that's my fantasy for today. Um, I do have a number of articles I want to share with you. And as you know, I do this all the time. It's probably a cop-out but at least it gives me an opportunity to take other people's deep thoughts and expand upon them and add my own little, I guess I would call them insights into it. What I have is from Doug Casey's International Man from Friday. And the headline is, Should Minimum Wage Implementers Be Jailed? Which I think is, is a fascinating study. You've You've all heard the arguments when a minimum wage increase is being addressed or considered that the people who push for the minimum wage to be increased say they're doing it for the poor and the people at the bottom of the economic scale. And then some rube comes back with a counter argument. Well, why raise it to $15 or 20 or $25? Why not just make the minimum wage 
$500 an hour. And then that way, nobody would ever be poor again. Of course, emphasizing to the point of the, of the ridiculous that it is an artificial, artificial measurement and prop. Um, two thirds of the people, according to recent polling, and I wish I could cite to you which poll that was, but two thirds of the voters in the United States, uh, favor a minimum wage of $15. Now, if you raise that, and it is currently seven and a quarter, I believe most cases higher in some states and localities. But if, if you raise that, you're not really helping the people at the bottom of the economic scale. You're going to basically drive people out of the workforce. Of course, that may be of the leftists. That may be part of their dream is to get more people on the government dole and government reliance, codependence with the government. So therefore, they have more of a power base going forward and can expand government willy-nilly because they'll have a compliant voter base to work with them. In fact, they probably already have a compliant voter base, just that it hasn't totally overwhelmed the system yet, though it's getting there minute by minute. But raising the minimum wage just means that in some small businesses who are operating on thin margins and then facing the prospect of inflation, I know we have a restaurant and it's in the food business and the cost of our products have gone up dramatically if we can get them because of supply chain issues. So making the minimum wage higher for our employees uh, would make it difficult or impossible to maintain the workforce we have now, which is barely adequate because we're having trouble finding people at this time, who want to work and want to uh, work effectively. But the minimum wage increase just doesn't affect those people who get the minimum wage. If you increase the minimum wage by, say, double, as they're proposing, that means those people who are making above that now will feel they merit a raise because the gap between them and the low-skilled, non-skilled, unskilled workers uh, remains the same. So they should have a relatively higher wage. And you know, with certain unions and areas and union contracts, when they come up, if the platform, the bottom, the base is raised, then everybody above that gets a proportional raise. So it's a, it's a never ending cycle. And in an inflationary time, it adds to the inflationary impact, the inflationary uh, pressure that we put on the whole economy. Um, I, I, I may be old school in this, but I believe that an individual should have a right to negotiate for his or her own wages based on what she brings to the company and the impact she can add to the bottom line. And... Uh, so I don't know. We'll we'll see how that works out. That's a constant theme, a drumbeat. Seems like every legislative cycle we have. I have some top stories from the Breitbart Business Digest. That also from Friday. It talks about that the January job numbers uh, came in much stronger than anybody predicted. 
uh, the Department of Labor uh, predicted 150,000 new jobs, and in actuality, it was 467,000 new jobs, 444,000 of those in the private sector. So what that tells you is that there were roughly 23,000 new public sector jobs added, um, which to me is not a good sign. Anyway, um, so they were happy about that, but they pointed out that a lot of those workers that were added to payrolls didn't work in January because of Omicron. Either they were sick themselves or their businesses or whatever were closed or locked down based upon local policies and so forth of that nature. So anytime we get these job numbers, as long as we have this pressure in the political realm to try to use uh, the COVID as a reason for restricting or diminishing or denying businesses, it's going to be a false number because even though there are new jobs, they may not be working after all. Another article I'd like to recommend to you is Jeff Tucker, who's the head of the Brownstone Institute, and uh, that's somebody whose material I, I read quite frequently. Uh, but Jeff wrote a, a piece called The Power of Protests, and that, again, was a Friday article, and, and I would urge you to read that. Uh, basically, he's looking not just at the Canadian situation— but in Israel and other places uh, around the globe where some protests have been effective. And then he remarks that the countries that are backing off of this severe mandate and restriction and passport nonsense include uh, the UK, Denmark, Ireland, Finland, Norway, Switzerland, and Sweden has rolled back its plans for a vaccine passport and Saskatchewan, the sanest province uh, in all of the Dominion, uh, is ending all of its restrictions right now. I've often thought that Alberta, Manitoba, at least, uh, should join the United States and Saskatchewan, I would add to that. Those three should join the United States, and then we should, in turn, be generous and give Canada the East Coast and the West Coast. But I, I I speak out of frustration, not out of reason. Anyway, so uh, that there's a big trend in the United States right now, according to research, and I have some articles from the Pew Research Center from Saturday um, about how they're starting to resist the protests, the public, or I mean, I'm sorry, resist the lockdowns and the mandates. Uh, people are getting really discouraged with them. But there's also a survey in there that they found that 54% of U.S. adults have a favorable opinion of the Supreme Court and 44% have an unfavorable opinion. And 84% of Americans say justices should not bring their political views into decisions. I would hope that would be 100%, but you got to figure there's 16% of uh Massive stupidity hanging out there. Anyway, um, 
but far fewer than that. Roughly 40% think the justices do not bring their political biases into their opinions, and I would like to meet that 44%. I think they ought to be institutionalized. Also from Saturday, I have Luke Lango's hypergrowth investing, and again, this is a pitch, okay? This guy is trying to sell you his services, but nevertheless, he has a an article from Saturday called The Open Secret to Winning Big in the Crypto Market, and basically says be selective, and he uses as examples the early crypto and also the early internet. You know, if in, when the internet was first starting to kick off, 1999, let's say, if you'd invested in Amazon, Microsoft, you'd be sitting really well off now. But if you'd invested in 724 Solutions, Exodus, Infospace, or Inktomi, you'd be sitting with zero dollars right now. And those were all hype stocks back in those days. So I guess what he's saying is do your research. Don't just look at the new trend and jump on the closest bandwagon you can find. The same goes with crypto. So there's going to be a lot of cryptos out there that end up on the dark side, end up going nowhere. So do your research on those. Find out what backs them up. Find out what drives them. Find out who they're their target demographic is, and go from there. And then there's a massive inflation driver that uh, you really don't know about. It's really impacting it, and it's it's from Europe, and they predict it will get here. It's called the European Emissions Al- Allowance. That was in the Inside Wall Street article from Saturday, and it's a column by... Trying to find out here. Oh, yeah. Andre Dashkoff, an analyst with Casey Research. The European carbon driver, whatever, it's a way of buying the ability to uh, pollute. (laughs) I'm going to use the the greenies terms there. And those costs are going higher and higher. And so as, as they get more restrictive on the greenie requirements and things of that nature, the cost of really being productive is going to increase dramatically, and that's gone up 155% in the last two years. So that gives you a clue where we're headed. Well, that's pretty much what I've got for today. But remember, dream of pretty things, dream of green fields and blue skies, dream of a bright, sunny day. After all, it is a fantasy. This is the Living Liberty Today. I'm your host, Charlie Earle. Remember to live free, stay free, and be free.